This is episode 60 of the Steady Trade Podcast with your hosts, Tim Bowen. Excuse my language, we try and keep it clean here, but you need to chill the fuck. Steven Johnson. You look exactly the same, I look a little bit fatter. And today's special guest host, Roland Wolf. You know what? I need to expand my strategies. Now, last year, Roland turned $4,000 into $500,000. He's been a guest on Steady Trade before, and he's back for more to help Tim and Steven get through part 10 of Tim Sykes' 14-part Trader Checklist series. Now, he'll also be back for episode 61 as well, but for now, let's just jump right in. Welcome to the Steady Trade Podcast. We have one of our favorite guests of all time on. Uh, he was on probably about six to eight months ago, and due to popular demand, he is back. Ladies and gentlemen, it's Mr. Roland Wolf. How are you doing, sir? What's up, man? Doing good. How are you? Uh, like I was just talking to you and joking off air, you look exactly the same. I look a little bit fatter. Uh, you look a little bit the same. I look a little bit older. Um, <laughs> your, your trading account has gone higher. Mine's probably about the same. But uh, otherwise, I'm good. How are you? Doing great, man. Doing great. Uh, good to be back on with you guys. It's been a while. I've been a kind of uh, in the shadows a little bit recently. So it's good to Why come have- and see you guys. Why just work, man. Just work. Uh, working on a DVD. It's taking up a lot of my time. Um, family, you know, trying to make some more time for family this year. And yeah, just been busy. Now you had, you had, you had kind of mentioned now just kind of as a brief history and listeners can obviously go back in the archives. We had a, a episode a few months ago, as Steven mentioned with Roland, um, you know, one of the extreme outliers, you know, turning 4,000 into, I think over 500,000 last year. And, you know, we talked actually Roland and I had talked a week ago when we were originally supposed to do this episode and he'd mentioned he'd been spending a lot of time with the family you know, new, had, had a new baby, you know, and he, and he kind of has been working on a little bit of work-life balance, and we'll probably talk about that. Yeah. But oddly enough, we had to reschedule that episode because Steven was working on his work-life balance as well. The, uh, reason, we had to, the reason we had to reschedule is he was, you know, drunkenly passed out on a beach floating down the river somewhere. But, you know, hey, we all have our work-life balance, and that's how Steven balances out his work-life. So some have more life and less work, and some people have more work and less less life. And Roland probably has more work and less life, and I have more life and less work. But but the people who work harder, I mean, I'd be interested in all Roland. Back in the day, I remember when we saw you at this when I saw you at the Sykes conference. You were interviewed there, saying that you were studying seventeen hours a day. Yeah. Are you still yeah. Are you still doing them seventeen hours? Or uh-huh. nah? Nope. Um, it took a toll on my body. <laughs> I mean, I did that for basically really... a whole year straight. I mean, wow. Uh, Yeah, it was a long period of grinding, and there were several reasons for that. One, I love trading. You know, I loved the process and trying to figure this game out. It's like the matrix, you know, and try to decode it kind of. So that mixed with the fact that I knew that that's what I had to do to get ahead. You know, I mean, if I spend the same one or two hours everyone else is spending on it, then I'm going to probably get the same results. Um, I knew I could probably exponentially – grow my knowledge account by spending more time doing it. It's that simple, you know, um, that mixed with my passion for trading and it just was a good marriage for me. And it led me to have that, uh, motivation every day to be up early and then just do it throughout the day. But that being said, yeah, it was, uh, unhealthy. <laughs> uh, you know, I think, you know, one of the reasons in my opinion, that Roland is an extreme outlier is he had that sort of work ethic. I mean, it was, it's pretty amazing when you think about it. And that's one of the reasons we talk about many traders, you know, taking a little bit longer is, I mean, the simple fact is if you've got a job, you've got school, family, whatever, a lot of you can't spend that 17 hours. So if you're looking at it and saying, well, I could never do what Roland Wolf did, it's not that you can't do it. It just means you might have a slightly different timeline because you have the inability to do that 17, 18 hours a day. Right. And there's obviously everyone has restrictions on their time. Um, And for me, it wasn't always, I mean, earlier, you know, the first six months or so, eight months, I actually had a nine to five. So I was not able to, and I had to get creative. And, you know, I think we spoke on the last episode, but, um, you know, I would work and then, but every other hour of the day that I could, I'd be studying. 
And so you do have to get creative when you do have a nine to five. If you have any other sort of obligations, you have to be creative and really maximize your time when you can. Um, obviously once I went full time, it took that problem away and I was really able to devote myself. Um, go ahead. Yeah. I was just thinking, I, pro- I think I've asked this question before. I've got two questions before I forget them, but what was it that you were studying for these 17 hours? Cause most people are going to be like, look, I'll watch a video lesson. I'll watch a webinar. I'll, I'll look at the, the recap of the stocks that day, but like, what are you, what are you actually doing for those 17 hours? Cause that stuff takes a couple of hours, not, not 17 hours. Yeah. I get that question a lot. So when I said <laughs> 17 hours of study a day, I did not literally mean that I am just studying as if for an exam, you know, it meant <laughs> yeah. I was trading. I was going through watching filings, the markets, yeah. watching the markets. I was just immersed, you know? So, I mean, um, going through my data, going through my trade tracking, going through setups. And then, yeah, I watched all of Tim's DVDs, like literally all of them. Um, Many times, several of them. Obviously, he has thousands of videos on Profitly that I watch most of those. All the webinars and the challenge chat, I watch most of those. Um, And so between all that information, I mean, there, I had a lot of time, you know, I had a ton of info to go through. So I went through that, uh, YouTube, finding people I liked and kind of going through YouTube videos, um, some other traders who I really respect. I'd go through their, you know, information, whatever they had out. So, I mean, obviously Tim has tons of information, so that made it easy. Outside of Tim, there's not too much, um, but I did try to find everything I could. So, so yeah, it wasn't studying 17 hours a day. It was being immersed 17 hours a day. Yeah. Well, and that's, you know, I talk, you know, one of my favorite sayings that podcast listeners have heard. Yeah. I talk about just staring at charts till your eyes bleed is one of my favorite things. And, and a lot of that is, is just that seat time, you know, sitting there watching stocks all day long, you know, something like, you know, it's, we're recording this on August 27th. A stock like Cron, I, I was watching it this morning. I missed that initial spike because I was doing a webinar. Right. But you know what? If that thing starts spiking at 2 p.m., I'll be all over it. In the meantime, I'm staring at Cron for six hours because right. I'm going to be ready and I want to know what that stock does into that close. So that's exactly where you, know, you, know, you can't just look at a daily chart or a, you know, a two-month-old one-year, one-day chart. You got to stare at those intraday charts as well. Yeah, hundred. I love that saying till your eyes bleed because here's a fun fact uh, about your your eyes started bleeding at one point. Basically, every, oh, really? I'm not even kidding. Uh, about uh, I think it was about a year into trading for me, um, I had to get glasses. Like everyone has seen me with glasses, and that was I thought I had 20/20 vision. Um, I didn't have have to get glasses till I started trading, and what oh, happened? Really? I would be I was trading so much. At the end of the day, I would go home, and my wife was like, "What's wrong with you?" Because my eyes would be bloodshot red, um, complete. I mean, and they hurt. You know, they they were fatigued and they hurt. So See, I bad. thought you. I just thought you had them. You, you're so damn handsome in those glasses. I thought it was just a fashion statement. I didn't no, realize it. No, it was it was because uh, my eyes are not perfect, and I spent so much time looking at numbers and scans and charts that my eyes were fatiguing from the tiny bit of not, you know, the tiny bit of uh, focus that I didn't have so that the doctor gave me glasses that took care of that. But I didn't, re- I mean, literally they were bloodshot at the end of the day for several months. And finally I went to the eye doctor. I'm like, yeah, look, I look at a screen all day. What's going on? But uh, yeah, I mean, it's true though. It's true what you say. And I mean, it's, it's pretty boring now trading uh you know, initially was really exciting to me and you get that adrenaline rush first thing in the morning. Well, uh, you know, for me, it's not like that anymore. I'm just super bored all the time. I mean, it really is. <laughs> I, I feel if you're trading properly, you should be bored. Exactly. Yep. You shouldn't be all over the place trading everything that moves and, and yeah, if I, I, I talk about that all the time. I mean, if you're, I mean, if you're, heart is beating through your neck and you're yelling and screaming, man, you excuse my language. We try and keep it clean here, but you need to chill the fuck out and and have a plan wait for your setup. But yeah, I mean, if you're freaking out, man, you need need more, you need more seat time or, or you're doing the wrong stuff. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and, and it's funny though, because it's almost like a lot of people getting trading for the wrong reasons because I mean, for the last 18 months of even just for until a couple of months ago, 
I was just in it for the thrill. I was like, I'll just take this position size and I'll go big and maybe I'm going to win and maybe I'm not. But overall, I'm kind of making money. But every now and then something bad would happen unexpectedly and you'd lose three grand. Right. And then I've got it. Like, you get to the point now where you're like, I just don't want to lose that money anymore. So you just, for me, I've got to a point where I'll never take size unless I'm like really sure of the outcome. Or it's like one of those golden opportunities, which comes four times a month, five times a month. And everything else is just passing time. Yeah. hundred percent. I agree. I don't, uh, you know, I don't wake up in the morning anymore thinking like I have to make a shit ton of money today. You know, I mean that, yeah. you know, early on that was kind of the case. Um, but I didn't have much money early on. So, you know, I, I understand when you're coming in with a small account, like you have that sense of urgency to grow it. Um, but there's no shortcuts, you know, mm-hmm. there's no shortcuts and people are always looking for that one trade that's going to put them over the edge. And it's just not, you know, it's really not. It's a matter of a bunch of trades, hundreds, thousands of trades over time and consistency over time. You know, if you have the right risk management and the right risk ratio, uh, risk reward ratios, then over time it's supposed to grow. You know, it's not so much like a one hit or quitter kind of deal, like you're rich, you know, so. Yeah, it's been a long time to understand that. I don't know if 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 Sykes took this from someone or if he coined it, but you know he says that all the time. It's like no one trade is going to make all the difference in your account on the on the plus side, but you can blow up your account with one trade. And if you've got that gambler mentality, that we all call it degenerate mentality then you could blow up your account in one trade. You, you know, you might get lucky here and there, but that, that it's not, you know, consistent success over time isn't about today's trade, tomorrow's trade. It's about a cute, you know, it's about 28 trades over a month or 150 trades over a year. Yeah. And that, and you know, there's that FOMO that comes into play, especially when you're new and it still happens to me once in a while, you know, you'll see that AWX unicorn that just goes nuts <laughs> and you weren't part of it. I had no part of AWX because it was the fourth or fifth green day. You know, that's not my play. And, but then I watched it after hours go to 30 bucks or whatever, 35 bucks. And, uh, and I, you know, it still hits me, but for the most part, the FOMO thing's under control because I understand, you know, there's always going to be another play. I think that's a very valid point that, that, that new traders should listen to right there is, you know, when you're new, you get that phone up because you're like, holy crap, this is going to be the only one. It takes experience. It takes time. But listen, roll. I mean, you know, yeah, you don't get, I mean, you only get a couple AWXs a year or maybe one a year, yeah. but there's a lot of great trades and you don't have to freak out and get that FOMO, but it takes time. It does take time. I mean, it took me a long time. It took me even through, through this year and I had been doing great last year, but I would still have that FOMO all the time. Now, not so much. And I, Actually, a little, what I like to do is work with mantras. They kind of help me. Uh, if there's one particular thing I'm struggling on, I have to figure out a way to bring that to my conscious. You know, a lot of stuff subconscious, like, and we're creatures of habit. You do the same things over and over again. But for me, it's kind of like I figured a way to use mantras and sticky notes and kind of get over any sort of psychological issue I have or emotional, whatever it is. Sorry, one second. My lights turn off automatically. <laughs> <laughs> Steven, perhaps you should try some sticky notes. I, I don't have I, I don't have um I don't have sticky notes, but I'm I'm curious to know what your mantra is. Is it like I am the wolf, I am the best? Do you just like say it just I am the wolf, I no. am the wolf, I am faster, I am stronger, I am the wolf. <laughs> <laughs> no, it what? depends. It depends. I mean I've had several, you know, I've had just like anyone, I've had, you know, many issues that kind of I find are the most important to get rid of chasing, you know, uh, chasing something most people who are new are going to end up doing no matter what, you know, you see things, you chase it, FOMO comes and you chase it. Um, for that, for me, it was as simple as running on a sticky note, don't chase in bold, putting it on the front of my, <laughs> seriously, because it, that will at least make you think about, am I chasing in the first place with the, uh, with the FOMO thing for me, it ended up being onto the next and I put onto the next on a sticky note put it on front of my computer and that's, and that's been my mantra for this whole year basically. And it's been super helpful. Like if I miss something, okay, on to the next, I have a great trade. Okay. On to the next, I have a terrible loss. Okay. On to the next. And it's, of course you got to look back, you got to look at your data um, and your statistics and then refine things. But at least it keeps me moving forward. 
as opposed to like just dwelling on a bad loss. And now I'm not going to trade for, for a month because I took a loss or whatever it is. Um, it's, it's really been helpful for me, you know, win or lose to keep it in perspective, like onto the next trade, where's the next trade. Um, and that's kind of how I go about everything now, you know? Yeah. I mean, I, re- I remember when I was in Italy with you, one of the best things you ever said to me was, especially about chasing you like why would you be chasing because that's when everyone's in it you want to in 95 percent of traders lose so you want to be doing the opposite of what everyone was saying that was one of the golden things that i've kind of remembered for a long time since but like it makes us wonder what what's the main what's the main type of way that you're trading now are you still kind of dip buying are you dip buying strong stocks are you, yeah. are you buying more strength these days or what's so, what's what's your patterns tell us the secrets so the truth is the last couple of months i haven't been trading as much and partially this whole year, even the, uh, the markets have been much slower, you know, small cap. Um, we had in January, we had kind of the end of the Bitcoin momentum, all the blockchain stocks. Um, so I had a really large gain on Kodak to start the year off, which was nice. Um, but come February, I had my child, so didn't trade much in February. Um, but I was opening my scans every morning, checking out what was going on. And a lot of the time I just turned my computer off. You know, I didn't see anything that I really liked. Um, so I'm, you know, I'm adjusting to the market. I'm sure a lot of people have had some issues, especially long for the last couple months. It's been, uh, it's been slow. So I've had, I have had to find, you know, some other patterns that I've used in the past to grind out, you know, a living every day. Um, one being kind of bottom bouncers. We've seen a lot of them lately, like just literally stocks hitting 52 week lows and bouncing, you know, you get a day one bounce and it's been 50, 75% gains sometimes. Um, but it's not the safest play for me. I hate, you know, dumpster diving for bargains, you know, that kind of thing. Um, (laughs) but it's something that I had used successfully in the past. So at least in this climate, I'm able to still find some plays. Um, but we haven't seen like, you know, any real massive morning spikes lately, uh, for the most part, at least stocks under 10 bucks, you know? Yeah. So, I mean, I, I look back at, you know, not, not necessarily the whole year, but probably the last three or four months. And man, I, if I had to pick like the, just guessing the average price of the stock I've traded, it's probably $12, $15. I mean, I have wrote, I mean, the, the, the low price momentum just hasn't been there. I mean, I'm thinking, I mean, I was in a $40 stock last week, you know, which like in 2016, <laughs> 2017, I don't know if I ever touched a $40 right. stock. So. Right. Yeah. It's been, and that's, and that's the thing I noticed as well. That's been kind of the range. Um, is like the 10 to $20 stocks have been mm-hmm. kind of good swings. You know, there've been uh, like turtle beach here. Um, yeah. you know, several of those have been good, good plays. And I just have trouble kind of getting up there. It's not in my sweet spot. You know, I'm not really so comfortable there, which is something I need to work on. Um, but yeah, I'm, you know, everything I'm, what I'm trying to do is be super patient until the, until the market's ready again. You know, when we get uh, some of these low floats running and we get um, some continued momentum or some good sector momentum, which I mean, weed stocks have been running recently. Um, I took like CBSI last week, I did bought the panic and that's one of my absolute favorite plays. So, you know, the important thing to me in markets like this is not to just give money away for no reason. You know, I'm not just trading anything for no reason, even if it means I'm not trading for two or three days, you know, which has happened. Um, I think the longest I've gone this year, about a week in terms of actually trading and not taking a trade. Um, so for me, it's about protecting my capital when the markets are not ripe for what I like to do. Uh, you know, there are people who do well that, you know, if you're a short seller, it's been pretty friendly for the last couple months. Um, yeah. So for me, it's about protecting myself when the markets aren't there for me. And that took me a long time to be able to actually sit back and not trade. Um, especially yeah, I, when you're watching, you know. Yeah, I, I think a lot of new traders discount that, and again, obviously, that that's the majority of our listeners. Is I mean, you don't realize. First of all, you don't realize how quickly you can grow your account with small gains, but you all obviously the inverse is true. And if you're just trading crap, especially August has been lame for low price. If you're just trading crap and it's hundred bucks, hundred bucks, hundred bucks. I mean, it doesn't take long and all of a sudden you're down two grand on a, you know, $10,000 account or something, a hundred bucks at a time. So, yeah, it's true. And, uh, and if you have a smaller account, things like commissions just on, you know, dumb trades are going to add up and, 
it's, you know, that time for me, if I had a small account right now, this time would be spent, uh, you know, exploring and studying and trying to, uh, really figure out what I'm doing as opposed to just trading. Um, it's just too easy to let a small account bleed out that way. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, I'd also be interested. I mean, how have you found the weed sector? I mean, Tim Bowen, I've hit him every day in Stocks to Trade Pro going on and on about it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, and then it's yeah. Yeah, I've been, um, I've been saying that for 10 <laughs> months, though, so, so don't, don't give me too much credit. <laughs> no, it's been, uh, weed sector's been running, and it actually has sustained, uh, it's been sustaining itself for a little bit. I'm waiting for kind of a pullback. I just want to see it really confirm that, you know, we get the volume and... Um, I'm just not a hundred percent convinced yet. You know, yeah. I'm not going to be, taking you know, I, I joked about there. calling it for, I, since last fall, we had that little mini weed stock run last fall and, and for real for 10 months, I'm like, it's coming, it's coming. And I've been saying it for freaking 10 months. So as much as I love the action last week, I'm with you. I'm not convinced yet because we've been faked out like four times in the last 10 months. Right. And the last thing you want to be doing is buying the top of like OTC weed stocks, you know, when they panic. I mean, you saw what happened to CVSI last week. It was murder. Yep. It was a murder. I haven't seen an OTC drop like that. From nine to three, like nine fifty to three fifty in like yep. 10 minutes. Yeah. Right. It was wild. I mean, it was a great dip buy. It was a great short reshort and it's been actually had been very volatile and awesome. Um, you could have dip bought CVSI every day last week. Uh, I only caught one of them. So that's fine with me. You know, once we get into a second morning panic and third morning panic, I get scared to dip by, you know, the second or third morning panic. I'm always there for the first one. So, but weed sector, I'm going to let it do its thing. You know, I'm not really going to get aggressive on it until I see something I really like. Well, and typically, you know, I mean, you know, the calendar, I mean, things will, things typically pick up after Labor Day, everybody's back from vacation and stuff like that. So, yeah. So, I, so for me, it's a capital, you know, I'm just protecting capital until, until the time is right. You know, um, I still take, you know, when I see the trades, I'm still taking the trades. I've just been trading way smaller. Um, and I've been much quicker to take profits as well. Yeah, and I mean, have you have you not thought about jumping over to the dark side, jumping over to the short side? Because I mean, yeah, you've you've experimented with it and you've done it well. I'm locked and loaded. I'm, yeah. I mean, I, so you know, I've been doing some tracking and stuff like that, and I know I know the setups when it comes to the short side. Um, part of the reason I haven't is because I've been working on this DVD, and it's 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 mainly long biased. It's mainly, you know, a lot of it is for maybe newer traders who are trying to just get consistently profitable with their longs. Um, obviously, if you have a smaller account, it can be difficult to find locates. Um, and then once it does come time to short a stock, hopefully, if you're doing it right, it's up quite a bit. So you're only going to be able to get a few shares, you know. Um, so for me, this, you know, this process, I've been trying to keep myself not in a small account mentality, but kind of like I want it to be very applicable for your everyday Joe with like 5k in their account. Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I am ready to go. It's just a matter of, um, when I'm ready, you know, I, I'm not a hundred percent ready. I want to be, I want to get done with this DVD basically. And then, and then we'll get going on the short side. But uh, I'd be interested to know a little bit more about your DVD. It's not something I've seen yet. I'm not See, actually just real quick. Yet. Actually, sure. Stephen Stephen's got a DVD on short selling too. It's like five seconds long. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, it's it's like don't short find, find the top percent gainer of the day <laughs> and short it at nine fifteen a.m. <laughs> and that's that's the end. And if it goes higher, if it goes higher, just average up and average yeah, up and average up. up. Yeah, and I mean, that's. No, but nine times out of ten, it'll work. One time, one time out of ten, it doesn't, and it's fucking catastrophic. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> but all of the other times, it works perfectly. But yeah, um, you no, know, for me, so for me, okay, I've spoken a lot to a lot of people about long and short, and people want to know why I go long, and it's just because I got comfortable there. You know, I really got comfortable. Um, I found a little niche that I liked and that I was able to kind of exploit, at least for the time being. You know, this year has made me you know, at times think about, well, I, you know what, I need to expand my strategies. Like if I, you know, if I go a week without trading, um, even though I'm watching, then, you know, maybe there wasn't anything to trade, but maybe there's another strategy that I should be using in this market environment. 
So it's, you know, I have thought about it, but in terms of long versus short, especially for newer accounts, um, here's my take. I think the best short setups are the highest odd setups. Okay. Um, I think they are the highest odd setups, but they can also be the most dangerous setups. So for, you know, a new trader coming in, trying to trade, like, you know, trying to short a parabolic or something at multi-day resistance or whatever they're using. Um, if you don't have the discipline to cut, you know, you're screwed. Um, I know several people personally who blew not tiny accounts up, but decent sized accounts on AWX, uh, because you get into that mind frame. Well, okay. You're down You're It's up two bucks a share from your entry. Um, well, you got to hold it and just wait till it comes back down that kind of thing. Well, it's yeah. not necessarily the case, you know, and that's- everyone does that as well, though. Even the best do that. Like you, you've seen Tim Gratani's DVD. You've seen, he, he shows you through four patterns in his DVD. And the first one is just shorten, shorten stocks that spike. Shorten stocks that go parabolic. And he's like, I can't do this anymore because I physically just don't have the discipline to cut it. And I need, I need a resistance level to, to get out on. And, right, which and he I, says, which he says, you know, he's, he not says, like, yeah. he's not like, yeah, just shorten and then let it go. He understood, so easy. he understood that he had an issue with it and then kind of pulled back from that strategy because, you know, it, no trader wants to be down a couple bucks a share. Like, or, you know, if you're short, have it up on you a couple bucks a share in the span of a minute or two. You know, that's, it's happened to me. Um, and that's just the worst position to be in, you know, because then you're trying to scramble to figure out a new way to either get out or stay in. And, um, yeah. you know, for me, it really, you got to stick to your plan, you know. Um, well, and that, that's ultimately, I mean, you know, there's, there's this, and we talk about it a lot, and I pick on Stephen, you know, there's this double-edged sword of these crazy junk stocks. We all love them as shorts, but the biggest, because they, I'm doing air quotes, they all fail. I mean, 99 out of 100 of them fail. But the problem is, if you're new, and you can't stick to that plan, and you can't stick to your discipline, by the time that thing pulls back, you're done. You know, it doesn't matter that it event, you know, a week later pulls back. Right. And that's kind of that, that I think a lot of new traders get enamored by that because they'll see guys or they'll even look at past charts and they'll be like, look at this thing. It went straight up and straight down. They always come but back it, down. Yeah. But it doesn't matter if you're dead and buried by the time it comes back yeah. down. That's yeah, the, that's doesn't. the problem. Yeah. Someone else is making money from that and you're not one of them. So, yep. it's, you know, it is, uh, yeah. and I was, I had that, you know, I still, I understand that. Like they will come back down for the most of the time. I mean, look at turtle beach. It's still up. Where's it? The thirties now. But yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's not coming back down right, anytime soon. It looks like, <laughs> you know, and that's, that's one of those charts that people were just shorting and shorting and shorting and covering, 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 and it's not kind of come back down. So, uh, yeah. for now at least. And, and but, I know I'm going to start. Go on, go on. I'll let you go ahead. Yeah, and so, I mean, for me, I don't want to be sitting, holding, waiting, you know, I, never. And particularly if, if you have a smaller account, that is the worst place to be is in bag holding of any sort. Um, that capital should be elsewhere. You know, that capital is what you need to trade with. So if you have capital tied to say 50% of your account or more tied up in a stock, that's literally, you're just sitting, waiting for news or PR you're, you know, dead in the water. So, I mean, that's not, that's what I try to avoid at all costs. And I think everyone should. Yeah. And uh, I think let's 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 uh, get on to trade our checklist, Roland. I want to ask you a couple of questions about, about your DVD because I'm intrigued. Yeah. But we'll save it till the end. Yeah. Let's jump into, into trade our checklist and let's uh, let's compete like it's England versus America. Yippee ki I want to talk right now about TSRI because this was the play I was buying this pre market um, because this was an earnings winner. So let me go over it for a second. So the real resistance is right here. You're just looking at previous highs. So the resistance here is at 550. And, you know, this is, this is a, a crazy volatile stock. I mean, even at 512, it's up 34% on the day. But pre-market, it was trading up here, you know, between 6 and the low was like 550, and then 6 and then 550. And I was buying it in here in the 550s because I thought that it could – Retouch six, and if it could retouch six, it could break out. Um, here was my trade, and I ended up losing on it just a little bit, but still wrong. I mean, right overall in the sense that it would morning spike wrong in my uh, in my trade. And so I said, I bought this low float, low market cap earnings winner. That's a multi-year breakout. Oh, they reported earnings last night too. I should mention. 
in the mid fives. It hit six earlier today, so I'm buying it solidly off its pre-market high. Still up 45% pre-market, though, already. So I'm only taking a small position as it's a risk. I very well might be chasing, but similar low floater TCCO spike to the sevens all in the first five minutes of trading. So this could happen here, hence why I'm risking it and buying a pre-market. So normally I do not buy pre-market. There was not a lot of volume, but it had the multi-year breakout. It had earnings. It has the low float. Um, let me just do a quick analysis Let's get to TSRI, when I was buying it this morning, because this is a new trade. This is my only new trade that I've done today. Um, pattern and price, you know, you've got multi-year breakout. Um, I'm not chasing it at six, which it had already hit. I'm buying it on a dip off its high, so that reduces my risk a little. Um, and it's, you know, low flow, low market cap, which is the, the creme de la creme of patterns right now, where you can get this dollar, two dollar a share spike in. So for me, uh, there's several things. This is kind of a this is a stock that I don't distinctly remember TSRI, but I'm going off of what Sykes said, and sounds like a bread and butter play for me. He said it's a it's a low float. He said it had earnings and it's a multi year high. I love breakouts on earnings, especially when they're low float. So for me, you know, I shudder to give the perfect score. So I would give this myself an 18. I mean, about based on what Sykes said, this is about as close to a 20 as I can get. Roland, what, what would you give it? I'll, I'll, I'll save the best till last since I'm the best at longs, yeah. Yeah, it's up there. It's, a, you know, 52-week breakouts, uh, they're not something that I play too often. But part of the reason for that is we don't get too many down in Pennyland. Uh, you know, we're usually seeing stocks hitting 52-week lows. So, so, you know, the truth is 52-week high breakouts. I haven't played too many of them because we just don't get too many of them. Uh, that being said, I do like it. Um, and the price is okay. Yeah, I mean, it's for me, it would be like a 15, something like that. It's something I would definitely play. I do play 52-week breakouts. I do like it. Um, and the low float as well. But yeah, I would I would take caution. I've seen a lot of them, especially with the penny stocks, fail, um, yeah. or or just you know pull and spook everyone out. So yeah, it's uh I'd say fifteen for me. Yeah, and I'll just I'll not add much more. I'd, I'd give it about a seventeen. Um, but the reason I'd give it a seventeen is because when when you get one of these like kind of clean charts where most most stock charts are going down like this, right? So every now and then when you see a stock that it's traditionally going like this and then all of a sudden it's popping up it's a very clean chart there's nothing overhead it's kind of a dream for anyone going long for me these are always the ones that run so i'd give it about a 17 clean charts are under underestimated people don't give not underestimated people don't give clean charts enough credit well, Roland, I, think if you, we, I think we just don't get many clean charts i mean we just really don't you know if you're trading stocks under 10 bucks we're getting, you know, and they're hence the reason I love, you know, plus ten dollars stocks too. <laughs> right? No, a hundred percent, and it's something that I need to get better at is trading stocks over ten bucks. You know, I'm really comfortable where I am, um, but for this, you know, for for the purposes of this, I mean, we just don't get many fifty-two week breakouts. And earnings is a, you know, obviously catalyst I love um, when earnings are moving stocks, penny stocks. That is. So on a pattern price, I mean, this is a twenty out of twenty. Risk reward, this is where it wasn't perfect. You know, it already was up 45%. Um, a lot of these times, as you saw actually, as, as what happened with TSRI, but, you know, you don't know what's going to happen until, until afterwards. Uh, but what happens sometimes is you have uh, a dip before, uh, you know, a, a spike. And that's exactly what happened here. And you don't know how big the dip is going to be. So all you can do is cut losses quickly, which is what I did. You know, I was buying it in the 550s, selling in the 520s, and I lost like 20, 30 cents a share. And that was, I, I thought that was pretty good because, you know, it was, it was scary. Um, you know, you don't know if you're going to lose 30 cents or you don't know if you're going to lose a dollar because the spread is like 20, 30 cents. It's not as liquid as I liked. So the risk reward uh, for me, risk reward is a, a difficult one because I mean we're looking. It's it's a one million float. It's traded a couple of million pre market. This is generally an indicator when it's rotated. It's float twice over and it's on earnings. It's it's going to be a pattern that's going to run. So that's why it's, I guess the pattern's been scored so highly. 
but I'm always, I'm always scared about, I mean, I, I can short free market all day, but I really struggle going long, especially if there's not like, it looks a bit choppy. There's no kind of clear direction there. I'm not sure where it's going. Uh, and, and it's pre-market. So, I mean, I'd, I'd give it about a five because I'd be scared with it. It's just, I'm just going to buy it and it's going to drop. So I'd, I'd give it, I'd give it half marks. I'd give it 10. It's 10 out of 20. Yeah. Uh, Roland, well, what about you? I'm actually just kind of looking at the daily chart from back then. Um, yeah, it's kind of a tough call for me. If it, you know, if this were something I was playing, where's the 52 week breakout? Do we know? I think it was it 550. Was it at the time? I think, think I five, remember around, him saying that. That sounds. Like, yeah, I think 550 I was. So. And where was he so, buying it? Sorry. Like pretty much pre, I think, just before the open. He's 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 getting in at about 510. I think he was saying. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for me. Uh, it's kind of a tough call doing this in retrospect like this, isn't it? Uh, <laughs> That's why we pay you the big bucks, man. Yeah, right. <laughs> uh, was he buying it after the, he, he sold it, you know, the pre-market or he sold it right when the market opened, I'm guessing on this dip. Is that what he's saying? Yeah. Right. I think he bought it around five ten pre and then he, he obviously he sold it when it's, when it started to fill out the open, I think. Okay. Yeah. I'm, God, it's so tough for me. Um <laughs> You know, for me, it would have to be like this pre-market low, like going into pre-market. The second it kind of dipped on me, you know, without real knowledge of what was happening prior to this, um, that would be it. You know, I would just cut a trade like this immediately, pretty much if it went against me. Um, but risk reward buying it there, I mean, if it depends on where your risk, like if you're cutting it at five bucks, you have 10 cents risk, that's fine. It's, um, you know, that's that's your personal risk and that's okay to me. So I, yeah, it's kind of a tough call with risk reward. I don't see any great levels, like obviously that you're able to risk off of and be comfortable. Um, so yeah, I, for me, it would be probably a 12 something 10. Um, yeah, I'd probably give it a 12, you know, as long as you're being safe, which he always is. Um, 12, 13. So I'm going to do kind of two situations. I'm going to, I'm going to, set the risk to reward on Sykes trade. And then I would set the risk to reward on how I would trade okay. this thing. So for me, I mean, Hey, I know I love Timmy. We're friends. We work together obviously, but you know, for me, the risk to reward on buying this sketchy low float stock in pre-market sucks. I, w- I would not buy this thing in pre-market. I can't remember the last time I bought a, a low float stock in pre-market. So no offense, Timmy, but risk to reward in pre-market on this thing, I give it about a five at best. Now, what I would do, and we talked about this earlier, and Roland mentioned it too, I freaking love those 9.45, 10 a.m. high at a breaks. For me, in pre-market, and Stephen knows this from watching enough STT Pro Sessions, I'd be just saying, let this thing shake out at the open. If it breaks the high of the day, that's your buy. If it fails on VWAP, that's your stop. Now, it, it wouldn't have been an amazing trade, but I think that high day break on a high volume, low float stock with earnings at or around a 52-week high is a pretty good risk to reward. So that 945 entry, I give up maybe a 15. But for the pre-market buy, ah, yuck, ah. Yeah, I don't trade pre-market anymore. I, re- I don't. I don't trade pre-market anymore. I just don't. I, li- I let things shake out, like you said. Um, it's just, too, it's not liquid enough, you know? Uh, sometimes when you get the liquidity pre-market, it's okay. But for me, it's just not, it's not going to work for me. You know, I don't, uh, it's kind of a 50-50 thing. I hate chasing, especially pre-market. So, yeah, it is a tough call, and that's why it's tough buying pre-market and then having good risk reward because you you know all the volume that happened occurred pre-market. Um, usually, it's low, and so it's not really setting a level, and that's why I take all pre-market levels with a grain of salt, and sometimes don't even care unless there's just insane volume. Exactly, yeah. exactly. It's analysis. Next clip. Okay. So the risk reward really wasn't that great. Um, I'll give it a I'll give it a seven because I did buy it on the dip, but it's still scary. Ease of entry and exit. Woo! By Price is Right rules, it's closest without going over, right? Right. And I had a five. I was the closest without going over, right? And you win a new minivan. You, you win a, you win a new Timbo and the 
outside fixer upper of things. <laughs> We're all booked out for six months for manual labor van. <laughs> Another tough call because I, you know, when without seeing price action, it's kind of tough. Um, at low float, you know, ease of entry exit is not great usually. Um, it depends on the volume that it's trading. Obviously, if it's trading great volume, then that's fine. But um, low floats are not easy to enter and exit exactly where you want every time for the most part. Um, damn, man, this is a tough game. This is tough. Um, I, I mean, like that you're taking it so seriously, though. I'm just trying to. I'm I trying mean, he's, to, he's like, he's not just like he's throwing like numbers the out. It's like, he's like loading the charts up. Yeah. He's like, <laughs> actually, I'm just like looking for videos of the trades. Back I don't even remember what like, we're talking about. I just yeah. pick numbers randomly out of the air. <laughs> no, 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 it's like, I've got to get the right one. <laughs> I don't know. That's really No tough. wonder you're making money. No wonder you're making money if you take trading this seriously, if you're taking this this seriously. I'm normally well, I'm, drunk I'm, when I'm trading. I'm butthurt <laughs> about the 12 I gave for risk-reward already. So. <laughs> uh, like normally I'm drunk and I don't know what I'm doing when I'm trading. Jesus. Yeah, I mean, I, it's so hard to give an answer. Four? I don't know. If it's a low float, you know? Depends, and the spread gets wacky. Three, who knows? So we'll get, we're going to stick with a three final was... answer. Yeah, I'm just going to give a three as well because there's three people here. Well, there's four, <laughs> with the but we can't say them. No, I give a three because low floats, high volume near the open. They could just do whatever the effing hell they want, and it's hard to get out. And and sometimes if you don't have good discipline, you you get you can get trapped in a sinking ship. So. I'll give it three. So I'm going to go with I, uh, one thing I did key on. Um, Sykes had mentioned the widespread, which yeah, we, we all hate. So again, we're trying to reverse engineer this. So based on the fact that he said it's a widespread, I'm going to give it a very low rating. And, and back to the price is right method, just like when you think everybody is overbid, you bid a dollar just to be a smart ass. So I'm going to go with a one just to see if I can win with the price is right closest without going over ease of entry and exit i mean i'll give this a three out of ten because it's scary past performance history of spiking so um past performance and history of spiking i cheated a little bit while we were in the interlude roland had mentioned that this stock has a history of spiking but spiking and failing um again we're kind of doing this in retrospect i can only guess but if Roland says this chart looks like crap, I say it looks like crap. So I'll give this a – I'll go with a three just because of the fact that Roland didn't seem to be too spectacularly wowed by this chart. Yeah, you're going to go for a three. Uh, I mean, from what I could see on the, on the yearly chart, I mean, it is a multi-year high, which is – it's a 52-week breakout, which is good. But if, if it's got a history of not being able to put two days together, three-day runs together, it's got a history of not being able to hold its highs. I mean, it's past before uh, – you've got to say it's, it's really – if it can't put multi-day runs in, it's, you've got to give it like a six or a seven or a five. It's a 52-week high, though. I'd, I'd give it an eight. I'm going to give it an eight. I'm not being swayed by you. Rolando, that's, that, that, that's bold. Rolando, do, do you know? Do you know? And uh, not to distract you when you're taking this so seriously, but do you know in Dubai there's a place called Rolando's Pizza, and I always think of you when I'm eating the the dough and the pizza and the cheese. I'm sure. I'm sure. You, I'm, you know that's very flattering. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. Uh, so I we'll get to my rating. I you know prior to, I mean, it looks like very illiquid. Um, so there's not too much on the chart that you can use, um, for levels of support and resistance and just information in general. Um, so for me, you know, that coupled with that, it doesn't hold spikes and I'm, you know, I'm looking at a lot of history afterwards. Uh, this was a quite a while ago, but yeah, I'd give it a two basically. Shit. Underbid me. Haven't been that surprised since I watched Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> it's a good movie. Robin Williams sadly passed away. Uh, let's let's play the next clip and see what the results are. Past performance history is spiking. Not so much. Uh, it has a little, but I'll give it a five out of ten. At what time is it? Personal schedule. You're aiming for you know the morning spike. Um, I'm, I actually bought it pre-market in case there was a spike right at the open. Um. So what I'm going to do here 
is, is again, I'll rate this based on Sykes particular trade. And I think you probably know what I'm going to say, buying a sketchy low float and pre-market yuck, yuck, yuck. So, and for me, for me to rate that trade pre-market trade one out of 20, I'll give it a, I guess I'll give it a five simply because it's a one out of 20 on the psych sliding scale. Yeah. I mean, for me at what time of day it is, I mean, I love uh, buying stocks pre-market. I, I really love doing it. So what, what time of day is it for me and my style of trading? I'd give it an 18. But on the fact that every time I buy a long pre-market, I lose. Uh, I'd have to knock that down a few points <laughs> because I never went trading long spree market, so I'd probably have to take about 14 points off it and, and give it a four. <laughs> if, if, you, if we're talking profitable trading, if, you, if we're talking about being a profitable trader, then well, I'd ultimately it, it's like what, what, style. You're, you're interpreting this trade through your lens, through your drunken beer goggles. So I mean, I mean, generally, I'll, I'd give it a, I'd give it a four if I'm being honest, but. If, if I've come from a Barasti beach party and I'm drunk, I'd give it about an 11. So take your pick. We'll go in the middle and we'll see seven or eight. Yeah, for me, it's uh, I don't trade pre-market anymore. And particularly right before the market opens, if I haven't, you know, if I'm trading pre-market, it'll be because I saw some news and I was in very early um, with small size or something like that. So yeah, for me, if I have waited all the way till a minute before pre-market or whatever, well, I'm going to wait, you know, until it actually <laughs> does its thing, Opens. wait for the volume to come in. So for me, it's probably a three. Yeah, great tip there for the listeners. I mean, it's one thing if you spot the, if you're the first to spot the news at like 7 a.m., 8 a.m., we love that. We call it the 8 a.m. shakeout. You get a lot of news, a lot of stuff comes out. But Roland makes a great point. If you've been watching this thing for an hour and a half, don't press that button at three minutes to the open. You know, don't, you know, it'd be different if you if you saw the press release at eight oh one a.m. That's a completely different situation. Yeah, and I don't know. I've made this analogy before, but I know Tim, you didn't play poker. Roland, do you play poker ever? I have you I played poker? Yeah, I've played in the past, yeah. So I've made this analogy before. Why would you take a trade at nine twenty nine, nine twenty eight pre market and jump into a stock? when you could probably wait till like say 9.33 and 34, 34.35. And it's the same thing in poker. It's like, why would you play when you're left of the dealer or when you're right next to the dealer and everyone else has got to act? Would you not rather wait for people to react first, see what they've done, have more information and then trade? Do you know what I mean? It's like a good analogy. You could put it in your DVD and just put me as, as credit somewhere. <laughs> no, it's, it comes down to volume. You know, it really comes down to volume because, the, you know, when the volume comes in, that will tell you the truth of what's about to happen um, for the most part. You know, that's what confirms anything. Anything on low volume to me is not anything not with, important. Yeah. So true. That's such a good piece of advice, actually. If you wait for the opening minute of the, of the day, if it trades 200,000, it means that not, not many people are really interested in buying it. So it's, the news isn't actually that fundamentally going to change the company. But if it trades 3 million and it's a low float, some big shit's gone down with the company. I know that because I've had my face ripped off short. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, okay. it's, 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 you got to see, see what's going to actually happen and the volume is what is going to confirm that. So, you know, especially if you're long and you want to take size and there's not good volume or short, you know, if you're a good short seller, you're not just shorting a liquid crap. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, you're not able to take size because you're not able to get in and out. You know, you don't, last thing you want to do is, is go load up pre-market and then no volume comes and you're left holding a stock where if you want to sell all your shares, you either have to piecemeal them out so that you don't tank the stock yourself or you have to tank the stock yourself. You know, it's one of those things. It's not uh, acceptable to me to be in that position. Have you done any more propping bids? Do you remember you said you propped a stock, a stock once with loads uh, of shares and you got took out? You, you've still no, not repeated that mistake. I haven't done that. No, that <laughs> You know, and it was, I learned a lesson, you know, it's one of those things where I, it's not a position I want to be in against. So I'm not going to do it again. You know, what does that do? It's, that means that I'm in a trade that's not working for myself. Um, and I am trying to fix it by <laughs> being an idiot. So yeah, it's, you know, I don't do that anymore. No, if, if, if I, if I'm in the position where I need to try to prop a stock up, then I should be selling. That's yeah. how I feel. Definitely. Okay, cool. Next clip. Um, I'm, I actually bought it pre-market in case there was a spike right at the open. 
Um, so I'll give this an 18. Normally, I don't like buying it pre-market, so that's why I, I have to ding it a few points. Actually, we'll change it to a 17. Uh, reason catalyst earnings. Um, when it comes to the catalyst, I don't recall what it was, but he did mention earnings, and it is low flow. So to me, that's enough. You know, I, I, I frequently uh, quote uh, uh, Full Metal Jacket, one of my favorite movies, and in the beginning, the drill sergeant says, you know, this guy is dumb, but he's got guts, and guts is enough. And to me, with low float and earnings, earnings is enough. So to me, a low float stock with earnings, I'll give it a nine. Yeah, I can just, yeah, same thing, low float earnings. I'll just give it a nine. And the market environment, if I remember, I've watched the DVD, and I've seen how he was trading that time. And it was summer 2016, which was a hot time for yeah, low float stocks. Low was yeah. running. So I'll, I'll give a nine and a nine, which makes 99. Not really, it makes 18. But Roland, what do you think? Yeah, for me, like reason, catalyst, and market environment most times go hand in hand. So like our earnings winners actually making stocks move at that time. Sometimes we'll see good, what you think is, are good earnings, but they're just not running. Um, so, you know, if, if at, in fact the low floats were running at that time and earnings were moving it, then earnings is one of my favorite catalysts, you know? So yeah, I'd give it probably like an eight. Um, if the market environment was right for that at the time, which I don't recall. So I'd say an eight and market environment, I don't remember. But if they were running, I'd give it an eight as well. Cool. 17. Uh, reason catalyst, earnings. You know, right now earnings aren't getting rewarded that great. But for me, it's a, a decent pattern. So I give it a seven. Market environment, again, for earnings, it's a 7. So it's a 66, um, not quite up to, to standards, um, but at the same time, you know, what's the risk? Uh, you have to think in terms of, okay, can it really spike? And if you're right, if I was right, you know, I can make a dollar. I might make $2 a share if it really spikes like TCCO did. Um, and if it doesn't, if I stick to my rules and I cut losses quickly – you know, I lose 20, 30, 40 cents, um, which is what I did. Five, four, three. So I came up with a 50, um, which, you know, the biggest knock for me, the biggest variance in Sykes and me was that time of the day. You know, I say, and I know I've kind of repeated it a few times, but if you're a new trader, which you probably are if you're listening to the podcast, please just do your best to avoid pre-market. And, and when I graded this particular trade, I mean, I gave it, I think I'm trying to do an order. I think I gave it like a three on time of day and Sykes gave it a 17. So hence the reason him and I are 16 points apart. The biggest delineation was that time of day. You can wait on these, especially these low floaters, especially when low floaters are hot. You can wait for that 9.45, 10 a.m. window. Or what I love, especially if you're that part-timer, that new trader, wait for that late-day spike. I mean, let it just chop around all day. And if you get those high-day breaks, those high-volume moves late-day, there's so much more potential for those moves to continue and not shake you out, just like Sykes got shook out on this. Yeah, I mean, for me, I've got a 57 and again, for time of day, I, I, I would never like the idea of going long pre-market when it's just about to open and it's a low float and, and it can dump like 20, 30, 40, 50 cents on you without you having much control or being able to get out and then you've got slippage. I'd also, I'm so bad at longs that I, I would almost, I'd need to see on the, on the history of the chart that it can, it can spike multiple days. So at least I'm going to take a profit on, the, on, the, on day one and, and ideally swing it on day two. So yeah, that's probably why I'm a little bit lower. I'm not sure what my number is. I haven't been keeping track, but I know I went in and taken the trade there. Like personally, it's not uh, something that I would have done. Um, yeah. And it's, you know, this all this is in retrospect, obviously. So it's a difficult game to, you know, if you're not watching the price action and you're not watching the level two, it's hard to say exactly what happened there. Um, but for me, yeah, it's not a setup I would generally take at that point, uh, you know, going through the daily chart. I don't remember, I don't remember this chart at all or, what the earnings were, but, but, uh, earnings as well with low floats can be sketchy because there are going to be people who just see the earnings. Maybe one of the numbers is good or something and they're just buying it. 
And when you have a low float like this, obviously a small amount of buys can move a stock quite a bit, especially pre-market. So that's why I'd be so careful pre-market with any low floats that are moving on any sort of catalyst. You know, it's, you still have to be careful, especially pre-market. So yeah, it's not, uh, I think, I think when it comes to the sliding scale, as long as you have that kind of process, you know, if you have no process whatsoever, you're not, you know, you don't wait anything and you're just seeing a stock that's up and you're buying it, then that's a recipe for, you know, losing over time. But, you know, for me, I have a similar kind of checklist that I go through in my head for the most part. And, and I'm able to kind of weight them, you know, because everything does change and you have to adapt. Um, sometimes earning winners don't move stocks. And if they're earning winners and earnings winners aren't moving stocks, then I'm not really that hyped on them. And then that catalyst actually will be weighted less than it would be if earnings were moving stocks. Um, so, you know, same with, same with uh, the float size, even there are times where I'll be more aggressive with low floats and times where I won't be. Um, time of day, I'm, I don't trade pre-market anymore, you know, unless there's a very special circumstance. So, so I, it is, I think the best, you know, the thing you need to take away is that you do need a process. Um, you need a process for choosing what you're going to play and then how to go about taking a position or not taking a position. Yeah. Um, I think one of the biggest values of, the psych sliding scale and trader checklist is number one, it's free. Okay. You can go to YouTube, you can go to traderchecklist.com and it's free. You know, I would be, again, I greatly respect what Tim has done with it. Is it perfect? Probably not. But the biggest takeaway is have that process. I mean, he's got his prepare criteria. You know, you can't, there's 16,000 publicly traded stocks. You can't tra- track them all. You can't trade them all. You need some sort of process. Start with this, refine it. I've done it. You know, I've got my own mental worksheets. I've got hard copy worksheets. So does Roland. Steven, you know, just does a shot and hits the short button. But, you know, the rest of us have a process that we refine and we work on over time. And that's the biggest lesson from Trader Checklist. Right. And, and where, you know, and if you're doing it right, you don't have one set process that, you know, and it's, it's not changeable because, you know, things do change in the markets and your personal process has to change uh, with it. So for me, yeah, it's, and like I said, if it's a momentum play and you're trying to get momentum and the time is right for that, it can be a little bit different. You know, there are times where something will hit my skin and I'll be more likely to play it um, than times where I won't be. So it's, you know, and that is part of the process. And part of the process for me is what are the markets doing? Um, what's been running? What hasn't? So like, that's one of the first things that I, what I am trying to understand is what the markets are doing. And once I have a grip on that, then I can kind of get into everything else. You know, the macro is so important. People don't even think about it. They're just trying to find something that's running every day and play it. But if you don't understand well, yeah, at, at times a certain catalyst will, a stock will go parabolic at other times it'll just shit the bed. So it's like, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's definitely you have to refine it and keep doing that and keep adapting and keep changing your, you know, your requirements for trades. It's so crazy. And Tim Bono like this analogy, but like, it's like with weights. If you, if you try and do the same exercise over and over, your muscles are going to get adapt to it and get intelligent and it's not going to work and you need to change. And the, this is the worst analogy ever. Actually, when I it's called it. muscle confusion I, is the theory. I should, I should not be that. making this. I should not be making this analogy. It doesn't work whatsoever, but I see what you're saying. But what's important is though, is like, yeah. Arnold was a big proponent of of muscle confusion, but anyway. But like people don't look at the macro perspective. People don't, they just trade their one setup and think, oh, it's working really well. And then they're like, whoa, it's not working anymore. What am I going to do? I better better just add more size to it. I better add more size to it. But I mean, what are the macro elements that you're looking for? For example, how do you, what, what do you look at to determine? I mean, is it just whether a setup's working or not? And if it stops working, if you stop seeing it, you stop trading it or? How do you judge the macro? Well, first of all, I'm looking at the overall markets. Um, Now, at times, obviously, penny stocks with the right catalyst and whatever it is, or even penny stocks in general will move independently of the overall markets. But for me, when the market is going, yeah, that's, you know, if the overall markets are green and we're looking good and everything's healthy, it gives me a little bit uh, more conviction to the long side. Um, So that's the first. The second is what are the penny stocks doing? Um, what have they been doing? Have we seen multi-day runners? Have we seen certain catalysts moving stocks? So, um, 
yeah, it's kind of taking a step back and looking at what's been happening the last month, what's been happening the last two months, you know, what's been happening, what happened last week. And then, and just keep building upon that process to where I always have a good sense of how aggressive or not aggressive I should be. Hi, this is Aaron, AKA Double A Ron from New York City. And I like to go outside and find a stray dog preferably an aggressive breed like a pit bull or a rottweiler then i get real close stare it down eye to eye until it starts to chase me then i run that's right i run while listening to steven and tim on the steady trade podcast you can register to win real actual prizes at their website steadytrade.com and if you really like what you hear Give the podcast a five-star rating and write a glowing review on iTunes. I did, and this is how we say goodbye in New York City.